So the guy that catch, wrote, wrote Catch Twenty Two was was in the in a, at a party for the, the Wolf of Wall Street guy, Jordan Belfort, whatever his name was. Yes, yeah. And at, at that stage, you know, Catch Twenty Two had been an, a multinational bestseller for multiple years, been made into a movie. They've since made it into a TV series and, and done a whole load of stuff. So the guy had done quite well, and uh, and somebody at this party said to him, he said, "Do you realise that Jordan made more money last week?" than you've made in 20 years of royalties from Catch-22. And he turned around and said, yeah, but I've got one thing with money that he will never have. And the guy's gone, what? He said, enough. Welcome to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, the leading weekly show to help you unlock your full self, health and wealth potential. I'm your host, Bushy Martin, and each week, I go deep with the best investors, experts, leaders, and founders to find out what it takes to break free from the grind, discover freedom, and live by design. Subscribe now and join me and get invested in the life you really want. Let's get started. Hi, Freedom Fighters. How often do you find yourself wondering where all your money goes? Why is it that you just seem you just can't seem to get ahead, that your money's already spent before you even get it, And regardless of how much you earn or your income increases, you just never seem to have that bit extra to save or invest. If this is you, then you're not alone. And despite what you keep hearing and are constantly told, it's not your fault. Now you can blame technology, marketing, society at large, and even your own brain for this, because they all try to keep you spending, despite your best intentions and efforts. In today's frantic world, uh, where everything is just a quick plastic card tap, tap, tap away. It's all way too easy to be swept away by consumerism, instant gratification, and invisible mounting debt. And we increasingly feel like we're just not getting ahead as fast as we should and could be. Now, money like sand just seems to slip straight through our fingers, leaving us wondering where it all went and how can we get things back under control. And none of this is surprising given that we're also facing ever-increasing housing costs, whether we're renters or mortgage holders, and inflation just keeps pushing up the cost of just about everything else. As I quote in my book, The Freedom Formula, actor Will Smith once said that we spend money that we don't have on things that we don't need to impress people who just don't care. So what can we do to stem the tide of ever-rising lifestyle inflation? If you listen to most of the financial commentators on the media, you can be forgiven for thinking that you're the problem and you simply need to change your attitude to money. Following this line of thinking, the obvious, logical, rational and overly simplistic solution to your money woes is just to spend less and save more, to cut out unnecessary purchases and spend only on what's strictly necessary after searching out the best value. Now, this sounds easy in theory, so why doesn't it work for most of us? Now, you'll be interested to hear that based on the experience of today's special guest, only about 10% of us have rationally behave rationally with money all day and every day. And this shrinking minority are normally referred to as Scrooges, tight asses, accountants, or financial planners. Meanwhile, the remaining 90% behave normally. They want stuff, they seem to have money, and the mass is too hard, too boring, and too time-consuming to calculate the consequences of every single decision that we make. So where does that leave you if you're struggling to get ahead, if you find your consistently missing your savings goals or your credit card debt just isn't shrinking despite all of your best efforts. 
Well, today's guest and I don't believe that the solution is depriving yourself of life's pleasures or forcing yourself to live a miserly existence. Instead, it's about understanding the deep-rooted psychological factors that drive our spending money habits and learning how to harness them to create a life of financial stability and true abundance. As you're about to hear and enjoy, it's about slowing down your spending and setting up structures that trigger you to think before you spend so that you can make better decisions each and every day and ultimately to get more out of life. And to help you with all of this, fellow mortgage broker and active property investor, Max Phelps joins me to enjoy a great discussion on our shared vision of waking up and shaking up hardworking Aussies like yourself and thousands of others to get your money shit sorted and to get invested in your future. Now, Max is also a money coach as well as a fellow author. So after unpacking the nitty gritties of his own personal, professional and passive money and investing journey, we're going to delve into his recently released new book, Spending Fast and Slow, where he introduces you to a system that triggers you to think before you spend so you can make better decisions every day and ultimately to get more out of life. As we explore the fascinating intersection of psychology and money, discovering how our brains are wired to approach financial decisions both large and small, as he shares his tried and tested system to spend less, save more, and to stop worrying about money. So I'm really looking forward to this great conversation. So welcome and let's get invested, Max. Thanks so much for having me. What a great intro. Thanks, Bushy. Yeah, my pleasure, mate. I uh, really enjoyed just sort of, I've only honestly skimmed through the book, but there's some really great stuff in there that I know everyone's really going to uh, enjoy. So right off the bat, I want to encourage people to grab themselves a coffee. But uh, for those that don't know you, Max, can you start off by giving us a bit of a rundown on what you do differently and, as importantly, why you do what you do? Yeah, so in terms of what I do differently, so yes, I'm a mortgage broker like you are, but um, everything for me is about the long term. It's about where do you want to take your life um, and um, why I do what I do is I want to help people get to where they want to go. Because I've been extremely fortunate in my life, having grown up in the country like you did, uh, although with eight brothers and sisters, which I don't think you had. Um, my, my sister's one of 12, mate, so I, I had similar understanding of what a big family's about. Yeah, but, you know, you grow up in a big family with no money out in the bush, and, you know, the whole thing, stuff we're talking about today is just pipe dream, pie in the sky. Now... I'm sitting here, you know, this is my home. I'm, I'm sitting as a back, backdrop here and I've got a great life. I'm really happy. And what makes me happiest now is actually sitting down with people, helping them set their own goals and and have the life that they want. That's that's what I, that's why I go to work when I don't have to. Well, absolutely love that. Well, I'd, I'd love for you to unpack a bit of a reader's digest of your journey so far, if you can. And I, I want you to sort of Take us through both personally, professionally, and and passively where you've invested your time and energy, money over the years, and why, and how's this then led you to where where you are and what you're doing today, mate? Well, when you grow up in a family with no money, the first priority is not being poor, and and that was the focus. So like, how do I not be broke? And I was lucky enough to get a a great job with a multinational company called Unilever. And uh, was joined their sales and marketing team, and a good salary was the answer. So get a good job, and you'll be fine. Now I was lucky enough as well to uh, when I came backpacking to Australia, um, I met my wife uh, when I was only twenty-one, um, and uh, we've been together thirty-four years now. Uh, thirty-four years in two weeks' time. 
Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but but initially it was just uh, how do we uh, not be poor by earning money? And that was it. Um, I wanted to invest in property. I, I played Monopoly as a kid. I wanted to do that sort of stuff, but they just never seemed to be, it never seemed to be possible. Um, and we had kids really, really straight away. I was 23 when I became a dad. Um, and so you've got the pressures of family and a growing career uh, and a wife taking mat leave back when mat leave was like two weeks if you're lucky. And paternity leave is like, well, if your wife's in labor, you can take the day off, mate. We won't count it. You know, that was it. Um, I, I love it. I love the fact that people get paternity leave now. I think it's amazing. I would have loved to have done that. But but yeah, so for me, it was um, uh, uh, putting my time and energy into my career. And I, I, the multinational gave me great opportunities. I worked for them in um, in UK, in Sydney, in Brisbane, back in Sydney again, Bangkok, Ho Chi Minh. And uh, 15 years I spent um, on the career path and uh, and gave me a great foundation. And, you know, I, I did quite well out of it, but ultimately I was made redundant and um, decided I wanted more out of life than just working for money. And so I decided to start investing in property and become a high school teacher. Interesting. Well, I'm going to circle back to that because uh, what I'd love to sort of break into a little bit because we're, we're often... Uh, you know, an outcome of, from nature and nurture of our upbringing. So how has your upbringing, given that you're one of nine, affected who you've become and, and your approach to money? Well, look, um, firstly, two, two different facets here because I've got, on the one hand, my mum, who was an amazing budgeter. You know, when you're raising, you know, my dad predominantly earned below minimum wage. He was self-employed a lot of the time and earning below minimum wage. And my mum managed to feed and clothe nine kids. Admittedly, we did often wear hand-me-down clothes, and I and I was I'm big brother, so I, my hand-me-downs weren't my sister's clothes; they were from a guy down the street, you know. Um, and uh, in fact, there was a guy that I was at school with, and he refused to wear his older brother's clothes because there was like a seven, eight-year age gap because they were out of fashion, and I wore his brother's out of fashion clothes. Um, so, so I grew up, but but my mum talked about money constantly. She was always going through a book. She wrote down any everything. If there was five hence missing from a purse she'd have all the kids lined up that were old enough to stand who's been in my purse and had the money and we'd be panicking about you know oh, we, I, went, I went to the shop and I, you know paid for the paper papers or I got the loaf of bread I know that I've got that written down that was this much no 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 the price went up oh I didn't get that and then she'd adjust the books and we'd be going again but every penny counted my mum used to say waste not want not and I never really understood that phrase properly until much, much later. Waste not, I understood. You don't waste anything. You eat everything. You never leave it, leave anything. And I had a problem with food for many years because my attitude to food was if, if someone's left something on their plate, it's like, oh, you don't want that. <laughs> Can I have it? I, I, we're, we're more similar than I thought because th that expression, waste not, what not, was exactly how I was brought up too, mate. So uh uh, everything you're saying is resonating perfectly with my, my own upbringing. It's really but it was the want not bit I didn't understand properly. And it was want not means don't want for things. But it, it was something that came from the fact that we didn't expect lots of stuff at Christmas. We didn't expect stuff at, you know, birthdays were when you got new undies. And you know, I got thousands of hankies. And I got, and I, I, I love football. You'll call it soccer, but you're wrong. Um, which is a round ball. So I, I would I would get a football every birthday and every Christmas. I'd get one, 
And by the next birthday or Christmas, it'd be punctured or lost or something, and I'd, I'd have to get another one. Um, and so that, anyway, as long as I got a football, that was a birthday for me. Football and a bit of chocolate, a bit, few clothes, that's me. Yeah. Um, but it just meant that I then, I got in the habit of like, I don't really need stuff. I don't need it. It's not important to me. It's not valuable. But I, I, I am one of the tight asses. I am one of the Scrooges that, that I don't like spending money. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, and so I do tend to, you know, do things on the cheap. But my dad was very different to my mum. My dad, the best financial decision he ever made was to say to my mum, I'm no good with money. When I get paid, if I give you my money, can you make sure everything gets taken care of? And if I need some money to go to the pub, just give me some money and I'll be fine. Best financial decision he ever made. And it meant he couldn't ruin the family finances because money in his hand was gone. He also talked about traveling and he wanted to travel when he retired. And to me, that felt like an awful long way off. And so that's why I, I came backpacking to Australia. I traveled through Asia. I traveled through America when I was young because I wanted to, to experience stuff before I got too old to do it. And so I've got this dichotomy between spending money on travel, but being a tight ass the rest of the time. Yeah, I love that dichotomy actually, because uh, and it's some really good fundamentals that were baked in uh, pretty clearly from your good mother. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you you made the decision to jump off the the, the corporate bus and then uh, leap into property and into teaching, which is a which is an interesting uh, combo. Uh, I'd love for for you to sort of share why teaching and then uh, jump into why property, because uh, that's a, that's something that. As you know, Australians uh, have a big love affair with, but there's only very few that go much beyond buying their own home. So can you take us through your, your thinking on both of those? Well, as part of my job in the, the last four years that I was with Unilever, I did a lot of training. Um, I did a lot of sales training, negotiation training. And and also I had a, a very, in Vietnam, I had a very big team. I had like 50 people through my team, about 11 of them reporting directly to me. So I did a lot of tra training, a lot of mentoring people, and I, I wanted to do that, and, I, and I, I wanted to be able to travel. And of course, for me, teaching was like, well, I can go and be a teacher, and then I get my school holidays, I can spend time with the kids, go traveling, but I know that teaching doesn't pay well enough. So I need something else that pays better. And so um, I, I, I remember years and years ago, I was on a course, and I don't remember who the guy was, but he used to say, um, do the job that you love, but find a way to make the money that you need. And so for me, property was the way to make the money that you need. Um, and I think it's a great philosophy, which is, you know, do what you love because doing what you love is what you, it's what you wake up to do every single day. And so teaching, I thought I'd probably enjoy it. And I did. I loved it. I did, I did two years of high school maths teacher, teaching sweaty teenagers how to do Pythagoras and whatever. Um, you know, and I loved the challenge of it. Every single hour of it was just, you know, on your feet. Like, how can you get this get this into the kid's head and they're just not getting it? And then how can you get them to remember the stuff that you did last time? I, I love that challenge, and, and, I, and I, I totally enjoyed doing that. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I'm going to spring this one on you, Max, but what's something unique or interesting about you and your background that you've never shared publicly before? Well, you see, I mentioned my wife a couple of times. So we met when I was 21 and we've been married now for almost 32 years, together for 34. Um, and uh, now she is a shopaholic. She's much more like my dad with money. She can't be doing with money. Uh, and I can't change her. I can't 
I can't make her stop buying stuff. I can put in place structures that help her understand what she's doing. And that's what the book Spending Fast and Slow is really all about. Um, but something that, that I've never really talked about is the fact that I actually um, I left her uh, in just before our 10th wedding anniversary, Boxing Day of um, what would have been 19... Uh, oh, I can't, I can't remember what year, 90... Yeah, 2000 or 2001 it would have been, I think. Yep. Yep. And I left her because I thought there was someone else that was more interesting. Um, and it's that being tempted by something. But you know what? I made an the best decision that I made at the time. You know, we're, we're always always going to be tempted. Anyone in a long-term relationship, somewhere along the way, someone's going to, you know, bat their eyelids in the right way and make you feel a bit special and feel like you need to do something else. And the best thing I did was instead of acting directly on that and going ahead and and, and sleeping with someone else, I said, you know what? I'm going to move out of home, take a step back, and then I know that that I need to make a decision, either come back home or, or, or go ahead with someone else. And, and I was very open about it with both my wife and also my girlfriend at the time. Crazy that that was the case. Um, but I did that. And three weeks later was our 10th wedding anniversary and my wife, um, uh, I guess, seduced me again and reminded me what it is to be married. And uh, and now we've been together for yeah thirty odd years, but most people think oh you've been together for, you know r- wonderful relationship. It's like yeah, but we're all tempted. You know, no. was- and every relationship has those challenges. There's, there's no doubt about it. I I've got to say uh, you know I want to thank you for being uh, open about that because not many people would. Uh, and great respect for the fact that you've you know sort of recognize the opportunity and done the hard work which it, it always is every relationship is hard work and that that's where the satisfaction comes out of it uh with, do you reckon that's been the most challenging you've been in your life uh so far or i reckon it's oh. probably one of the most challenging there, there was another one that we we got hit with later on um i mean coming back to england after training as a teacher in england um i was told i couldn't teach because the qualification was no good and that was kind of tough and I fell into mortgage broking as kind of a filling um, to kind of until I could teach again. But I went with a franchise organization. And then three years in, they went belly up. And and they gave me the choice between staying with them. And as you know, as mortgage brokers, we get paid a trailing income. Yep. You stay with them and keep your trail and, you, and you'll be sold on to someone else or leave and walk away from it three years of um of, of building up the business um, tough on which way did you go well i started golden eggs uh straight away um so golden eggs was actually born in uh, november 2011 uh they went belly up they went they, they went into administration in uh, october the 17th um 2011 and two weeks later i gave them my two weeks notice and then I waited until the end of the two weeks lotus, started up Golden Eggs, and that's my business, and I've been trading under that name ever since. But it then allowed me to then focus more on investors and focus more on um, doing things my way rather than doing things the way that they wanted me to. Yeah, I love that. Uh, before we get in get into that whole arena, uh, and I want to sort of uh, drill into your property journey in, in a fair bit of detail if we can. And sorry, just by the way on that, Bushy, you, you also know that when you're a mortgage broker, there's a huge lag between when you're paid, when you do the work and when you get paid. When the administrators stepped in, they said, we're not paying for anything prior to today. So then not only do they stop our trail, they stopped every single deal that we had. 
So I had to go for I had to go on zero income for three months until I could get uh, things back on track again. That would have been uh, financially extremely challenging at the time. Wife and three kids to support. My wife working in the business with me. That was our sole source of income. Good, great. Well, if if I look at that combination of the the, the challenges with your relationship and the challenges you had around that that business exercise, what what were the uh, the greatest learnings and best changes that that came out of that? Do you think? It, yeah, it's funny that it's committing to something is a is a powerful thing to do, an incredibly powerful thing to do. Whether it's committing to a relationship or committing to a business, it's just going. You know what? I'm in. I'm going to do this. It's a very powerful thing, and then you have to make it work. And things don't always work out the way you think they're going to at the start. But when you make that commitment, then you've got to do the work to make to to make it happen. Um, and and for a lot of people I know, and I know I was this for 15 years. I I didn't make a big commitment to do anything much at all. And the problem, if you don't make a commitment to do anything much at all, then guess what you do? Not much at all. And you chase the next shiny thing that comes across the across the horizon. Yeah, spot on. Uh, no, I'd, and and I guess that you know that my take home from reading that is that that long term commitment, whether it be to your business, your finances, and, and the relationship, is ultimately the exercise that will uh, strengthen your character and your resilience, and ultimately get you to the whatever you like to call sustainable success. So I uh, love you sharing that. Uh, I want to circle back a, a little bit there and, and get you to talk about what does money mean to you, Max? It's just a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. It's a tool to do a job. Um, we need money to pay our bills. We need money to do the stuff that we like, but it's just a tool. It's not the be all and end all. I used to be interested in chasing it. There's a lot of people in our profession and that's all they do is chase the commissions chase the deals um but it's just a tool and if if once you understand your own self better and you know what you want then you go well how much money do i need to do what i need and i don't need really all that much um you know i'm happy to buy cheap t-shirts and um you know i love where i live and and this costs us a lot of money to live here um but it's just a tool and we use it to get the things that we want and if we need to make more, we make more. Um, but obviously, it's much better for me. You know, we, we hit the point a while ago to for our, get our passive income up. If you can get your passive income up so that you don't have to work if you don't want to, then you can choose to chase the dollars. Um, actually, one of my favorite quotes um, is is from, is it, uh, I always forget his name. Is it Tom Heller? The, the guy that wrote um, Cash 22. Oh, yeah. Yep. So the guy that catch, wrote, wrote Cash Twenty Two was was in the in a, at a party for the, the Wolf of Wall Street guy Jordan Belfort, whatever his name was. Yes, yeah. And at, at that stage, you know, Cash Twenty Two had been an, a multinational bestseller for multiple years, been made into a movie. They've since made it into a TV series and, and done a whole load of stuff. So the guy had done quite well. And uh, and somebody at this party said to him, he said, "Do you realise that Jordan made more money last week?" than you've made in 20 years of royalties from Catch-22. And he turned around and said, yeah, but I've got one thing with money that he will never have. And the guy's gone, what? He said, enough. And that's what, for him, he had enough. He was fine. He was happy. But 
But Jordan didn't have enough. He had to keep chasing more dollars. He had a business bringing $25 million a year of passive income, but kept chasing more and ended up in jail. Yeah, it's spot on. And I think the real prize is time, not money. It's, yeah. it's time and choice to do the things that are important to you. And and that's a really good segue. I'd, I'd love for you to share your vision of what your ideal lifestyle looks like, because you're probably living it right now from what you just Yeah, I am. Yeah, with this. So, <laughs> What, what does that look like and, and what have you invested in to help make that happen? Um, yeah, so I mean the ideal lifestyle is, is you know, living in a place with with amazing views. You know, I, you know one of my favourite things to do is, is wake up in the morning and open up the blinds and just look outside and just see the water and it's just phenomenal. And you know, when you've grown up in, out in some, you know, crappy little place in the bush and you're suddenly looking at this amazing view – it makes you feel good already to start the day. Um, I walk to work, so I, I I live six kilometers from my office. I'm in the office now. This is just the home backdrop, but um, it's six kilometers, and I walk some days and I cycle some days. It yeah. means I get my exercise. It means I'm out in the open, and uh, I don't set an alarm. Uh, is one of my you know one of my things. I, I don't have an alarm. I wake up when I wake up. I walk to work. If I take an hour to walk to work, that's fine. If I take an hour and a half because I stop and do a workout or make some videos on the way, that's totally fine. Um, you know, I'll stop and have a cup of coffee, but I love doing the job that I do. So I come to the office every, almost every day. Some days I take, I take days off. You might call them the weekend, um, but but I don't take my every weekend off, and I don't take every day off on every weekend. I normally work because. I like it. I, I come in and I can spend time with someone, try to help them. And if you've got the time and if when you've got time and energy to help other people, that's worth so much more than than fancy cars, fancy clothes. You know, it's it's a hollow feeling of just chasing the next thing as opposed to you just made an impact on someone's life. Someone just went, Wow, I, I, I understand something I didn't understand before. And that's both with the clients that I help and also that you know, if I make more money now, it goes straight back into the business. I'll hire another staff member, train another person. That means another person can help more people, and and on we go. Yeah, I love it. And and, and then the holidays, you've got to take breaks. <laughs> of course you do. And, and I know travel is a big part uh, to you and, and Kelly, as it is for my wife, uh, Sonia, and I. Yeah, there's no greater learning opportunity to work out who you are and and, and what's really important to you than and going somewhere else. Uh, but I. I and and I, I agree with you, Max. I, I think true fulfilment comes from a giving freely to others without ever expecting anything in return. And uh, the level of, level of satisfaction that comes out of it, uh, you just can't put a, a, a dollar against it, quite frankly. Uh, but to have the freedom to do that is a, is a wonderful gift in itself. But I, I know that uh, to help make that happen, not only have you got your uh, money sit together, but you've all also invested uh, quite heavily in, in property over the years. So I'd, I'd love it, love for you to start. I have. I was a late bloomer to the investment game and I missed more opportunities than I than I took. Um, you know, I'll never forget sitting down in my living room um, 20-something years ago and having some – and the guy was a property spruker, one of these people that tries to sell you some off-the-plan stuff. Yeah. Um, and I knew full well that his stuff was priced – you know, he was forty grand more expensive than than a, a unit down the road, and I remember well and truly. This is in Dulwich Hill in Sydney, which is about you know eight kilometres out from the city. 
And it was a two-bedroom apartment at $220,000. But I knew that I could get one for one hundred and eighty dollars if I bought an established one. So I didn't go ahead with him. But I didn't buy the other one either. I didn't know anything. I just didn't know. And that, that's a pretty common exercise as well, because it's, it's always eight hundred thousand. They work now eight hundred. It wouldn't matter whether I paid two twenty or one eight. It's worth eight hundred. Well, let's dive in there because I'd I'd love for you to un- unpack for us uh, the the nitty gritties of your property journey. But I want to start with why did you decide to invest in property at all, and were there any initial fears or concerns that you had before you uh, took the leap? You know, apart from playing Monopoly as a kid, um, I wasn't a reader. Um, the only books I read were the ones I was made to read in high school. And then on my 32nd birthday, my wife gave me uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Um, fantastic book. Read it cover to cover in a couple of hours. And then she got me the whole Rich Dad series and I started reading other stuff. And I was, and I thought, this is, I've got to do this. I've got to get into property. Yeah. But it was another, what, six or seven years before I did anything. Um, and so... I saw, like I say, saw lots of stuff and thought about lots of stuff and didn't act on any any of it. it what, was, what held you back? What what held you from pulling the trigger? Do you think, Max? Oh, it was it was it was the fear of getting it wrong. It was the like I say that you know you don't want to get ripped off by someone, so you don't do when you know someone's trying to rip you off, you just don't do it. But I, I sh- but I, I didn't I didn't bother getting myself educated. I didn't speak to a mortgage broker. I didn't even know such a thing existed. And to be quite honest, it probably didn't exist very much back then. You know, mortgage brokers were kind of a very niche thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and even then, you know, even now, 80% of brokers are just interested in getting you the loan. They won't sit down and take the time and understand what, what you're trying to do with your life and try and help you get there. Um, so, you know, if, if I'd have met someone like me, and, and that's what drives me more than anything now, is that if I'd have met someone like me when I was 32, I would have bought that bloody property. I'd have bought the 180 grand property down the road or an even better one because I'd have known how. And I didn't know how. I didn't know that I could just, you know, use the equity in my home to do stuff, that that my income was going to be enough to make it work and that, that rent was going to cover the mortgage. I didn't know how to do it. Um, well, I, I, take us through the nitty gritties. I've got a degree in economics. So I, you know, it's, it's like I'm not, a, I'm not a dumbass or anything. I just, but I still didn't know how to do it. Yeah, and that, and that, that fear is, is the big hurdle for, for a lot of people because it's what you – you, know, you just don't know what you don't know. Therefore, the the default position is to do nothing uh, because you, you think it's safer doing nothing. But when you and I and, know- and, and, and by the way, that's part of our human nature is 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 like stay in the safety bubble of what we know and what we understand, and don't step out into the unknown world. Um, and uh, you know, so I didn't do anything until I was probably thirty eight, thirty nine before I finally went and you know I got made redundant, and I went right. Part of this is. I need to supplement. If I want to be a teacher, I can't live. I can't support a family of five, as the, as the main breadwinner in the household. Um, I, I can't support a family of a uh, five on a teacher's wage, um, especially not a trainee teacher's wage. I need to make some money, and so I'd managed to save up. Um, we started saving. The good thing I did start do at thirty two was we started saving money. We'd never saved money. Yeah, we bought a property, but we never saved money. We didn't even save the deposit. We bought our first time on a credit card. We put the deposit on a credit card, a 5% deposit on a credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at least you got started, though. That's that's the key bit. You got on the ladder. I got on the ladder, but I really got on the ladder because it was I was trying to game the system because Unilever moved me up to Brizzy, and they had a rule that was if they moved you, then they would subsidize your, your 
your housing costs. Well, I knew Sydney was a lot cheaper than Brizzy, but I knew if they were moving me to Brisbane, I'd have to come back. And if I bought a house in Brisbane, they'd have to subsidize my move back to Sydney. So so I knew I had to, to kind of act, act then. So I was acting for all the wrong reasons, but that's what I did. And so it got me my first property. Um, and then my, my, but that was a home. And then we had to sell that to move to Sydney and we got, we got the upgrade from the company. And then the investment I, I then had, I, I was like, I was, now I've got it. I need the money. I need the income. And so I started buying cash positive investment properties um, in the north of England that made more money. I still got mortgages because I was working there, but, but they were very cash positive. And so it was able to supplement my income. Yeah, take us from there. So uh, you did did a few of those by the sounds of things. Can you sort of thread the needle on on what you? So the funny thing is, once I once I bought the first one, the thing is like it's almost like the floodgates open. It's almost like my brain's we can do this. Oh my god! Oh, you get financing by a property. I did one. I did one in January. I did another one in July. And by then, I'd left the UK. We'd moved back to Australia, but I was still getting paid a teacher salary up until the end of. August because there's summer holidays in the in the uh, July August period, yeah. and uh, and I was literally uh, on my way back to Australia. We stopped off in Vietnam where we used to live to catch up with friends, and I was in a bar going to the bar to order drinks for my wife, um, and saw a message saying saying that the, the, there was another property available, and I went, I like that, <laughs> and I bought this property via text message from a bar in so my. Um, from from like taking no action at all for like years and years and years, like and text messages. Oh, I have another one of those. Just like play Monopoly, Max. Exactly right. And just so I just bought, you know. And I thought, oh, I can use my teacher's salary still because still getting paid in the bank account. Yeah, it'd be fine. Um, got myself the loan, bought another property. Um, but then we moved back to Australia and sort of had to start again with the whole, you know, became a mortgage broker. You don't get paid for six months. Um, and the big thing for us then was that. And this is something else I learned on the way is that often we make mistakes with property because even on the property we live in, because our family needs change. Yeah. And, and and we had teenagers in the household. And when you're living in a household which has got enough bedrooms but only one bathroom, you need another bathroom and you typically need another living space to cope with teenage kids. So we didn't really like the, the area that we were living in as much as we, we didn't want to end up in the area. We wanted a place with a bit more space. But it was going to cost us so much more money that we thought, you know, we're going to sell the house, put that money into property, and in, and start renting. And so we've been we've been rent vesting since 2010. So that's 13 years ago. Mama. Sold the family home and then had to buy and went to buy property. And America was where it was happening at the time. Their market was in the toilet. Property prices had fallen 75 percent. Not seven and a half percent, not twenty-five percent. They had fallen seventy-five percent. I couldn't get a mortgage, but you didn't need one. So we just went and took the cash. We still had a, a sizable mortgage back then, but we took the cash, put that into a property in America, bought eleven units, so three blocks of like a two fours and a three. Yep. Eleven units in uh, in Phoenix in Arizona, and that pretty much set us up. You know, we went from having three investment properties to fourteen. In the space of um, about six weeks. Yeah, I love that. I, I did the same thing. Yeah, my wife and I jumped on a plane as soon as the GFC hit. We thought this is a once in a generational opportunity, uh, given how far prices had fallen. And uh, we we spent three months over there uh, having a really good look around along the east coast. Right. Months before we bought a bunch of properties, uh, but I, I must say it, it it has been a little bit challenging 
uh, because while the yields were incredible and and the growth in value, just to, just going back to what the long term average was, you'd, you'd made big money and it was great uh, exchange on the the Aussie dollar. And yeah, it was not, it was parity. Yeah, it was, and so you know, dropping back to seventy five cents is you you've built in twenty five percent increase in in equity straight off the bat. But I must say, yeah, the uh, the quality of professionalism in the states versus Australia is like chalk and cheese. So, well, oh, did you, get, you didn't get burned like a, by a property manager as well, did you? Oh, how many? How many? Oh mates? my god, they ripped me off. Yeah, six months I was with a property manager, eleven units. Guess how much rent I received on eleven units with no mortgage on in six months? Not only did I not receive a dollar, they reckon I owed them ten rand. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's the. That's the uh, hard part of it, but but again, useful learnings and and it, what it reinforced to us is just how how good we've got it here in this country. Uh, from from all levels, the worst property manager in Australia is still amazing by US standards. Totally agree. So if if you look at your your property journey, uh, and and it sounds like your initial property investments were cash flow driven, uh, yeah. Has your strategy changed at all? Over oh yeah, and yeah. I mean, those proper, those first properties I bought in the UK were, were, as it turned out, garbage. Uh, one of them I just, I've actually just sold. Um, one of them was a, a house I bought, great, like eight percent yield. So you know, and, and back when mortgages were five percent and dropping down to two percent, and eight percent, eight percent yield was phenomenal. Wow. Fifteen years I've owned that property for. It's gone up in value from seventy-five thousand pounds. To one hundred and five thousand pounds, so thirty thousand pound. Not even a fifty percent growth in fifteen years. Out. Um, so I, I, you know, just I would never do it again. Like the pure cash flow. Um, so so now what we do is um, we look for places we think are where the area is fundamentally undervalued. So we think there's a bit of upside there, and then we we do a small lot subdivision. Buy, buy, a, buy a house with a big enough block of land, you can put another house on there, and then you know, you'll know you make money just on the build, and then it, it, you'll also make money if you ride the wave because the property prices were fundamentally undervalued in the area. Yeah, and no, I love that. Uh, if, if you look back on your uh, property journey so far, what do you believe are the keys to being successful both with both money and investment, and why, Max? Well, firstly, you ought to manage the money properly to start with. Um, you, you know, you can't invest in property if you don't build up some equity or have some savings. Um, and so that's where we went wrong for the first 12 years. Um, but uh, secondly, get find some good people. I mean, it's not hard nowadays to find a good mortgage broker. Um, and, and they're a great start, you know, especially if it's someone like, you know, yourself or myself, where we care more about the client's outcome than, than lining our own pockets. And it's all about, well, what do I know that I can share with someone that will help them feel like they've got the confidence to do what they need to do to make stuff happen? Um, and then just doing stuff because sitting on the sidelines is is a poor man's game. And and we, we regret, we don't regret the things I've bought. I might have bought that property up in Grimsby in the north of England. It even sounds like a terrible place. Grimsby sounds grim, doesn't it? But I still made, you know, uh, thirty thousand pounds on that place, which is about fifty thousand dollars on it. I still made rent every year on that property, even though, relatively speaking, it was a bad investment compared to what I could have done instead. 
Whereas the 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 two hundred and twenty thousand dollar unit in Dulwich Hill that I didn't buy, <laughs> I know how much I lost on that one. That's like six hundred thousand dollars. That's what I'm light by on that one. I just didn't do it. I just sat there. <laughs> no, I, I love that. So if you if you sort of you've had a chance to rub shoulders with a lot of people over the years and and with your own journey, you what what qualities and character traits do you think separate great money managers and investors from the rest? Then Max. Yeah, so I mean, there's, there's two slightly different things there. M- managing money is is a different thing, and it's a learned skill, as is investing is a learned skill. But but certainly the great in, the 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 great money managers accept the fact that they're never going to be very good with money. Don't try and change yourself to be good with money. It's not going to work. You can't change your own psychology. That's what the book's about. Um, so accept that. And then put in place structures to make it difficult for you to spend your own money. The second thing is then invest. Invest in something. If shares is your bag, go invest in shares and buy something. But buy it for the long run. Don't buy it and go, oh, I'm going to buy some shares this week and then sell them next week because they went down in value. Um, uh, There's a great book actually called The Ulysses um, Contract. Great book. um, which, Which is all about, you know, set your course. You know, we, we talked earlier on, set your course, stick to that course. If it turns out it was wrong, figure it out in five or 10 years time. Don't just think it's wrong because it doesn't look great today or tomorrow or next week or the week after. You know, you've, you've, you've done the course. The only, the only way it's going to work is if you stay the course. Um, and so that's what great investors do and is chart a course and then stick to it. Most people don't start that first step of actually even charting a course. They don't set themselves any goals. And if you don't set any goals, well, what are you hitting? Anything and everything and the next thing. Exactly and right. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, beautifully said. If you are re- sort of reflecting back then, Max, if you were starting out again, would you have invested any differently or, or done anything differently with money on your I started journey? Earlier. I mean, the first property investment I looked at, I was still at uni and I didn't know how money worked. Me and a mate walked into a bank and said, we've seen a house. We were renting as students. Um, and he had a bit of money behind him and his family, and we could have probably bought a place together if we'd have understood how things worked a bit better, and if mortgage brokers were a thing back then. Um, and we could have bought a house for twelve thousand pounds in 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 an inner city area where they would be worth, you know, in pounds obviously probably two hundred and fifty thousand pounds today. But we didn't do that. So so start get assume you don't know and talk to people. Get a good mortgage broker. Buyers agents. I didn't even know buyers agents were a thing. In America, you can't buy property without a buyer's agent. Exactly. They didn't even see them. Yeah. yeah. But you find a good buyer's agent and they go, oh, we'll show you this one. We'll show you this one. I don't want to buy that one. So why don't I want that one? Oh, let me show you why you don't want that one. It's like, oh, God, I would have bought that one. If you hadn't said anything, I would have bought it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, buyer's agents are amazing in, in property. Um, accountants can be worth their weight in gold. Um, you know, but... But we assume, you know, and I'm terrible for this, assuming I can do it. I know how to do this. I'm smart enough. I can do this myself. It's only when you talk to someone who really knows their stuff, you go, oh, God, what an idiot I was. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm you like an idiot, but. <laughs> well, there's you know, a you know. Yeah, that's exactly. And there's a lot of Aussies who uh, just don't trust anyone, particularly when it comes to their money. And that, that becomes a, a hurdle as well, because if you don't trust anyone, you don't do anything. Which comes back to what you mentioned, and, and that's why that you know go 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 back. I didn't trust that spruker. I knew he was selling me some overpriced crap, 
you know, the fact is I would have made money, but the fact is I could have also lost a lot of money and I could have been in, in, in a difficult situation because that guy was there to sell me stuff. And this, those people exist in Australia today. You want to find out where are you getting paid? How are you getting paid? Um, whoever you're talking to, how are they earning their money and why are they doing what they're doing? Um, and if you understand why they're doing what they're doing and understand how they're getting paid and you're prepared to pay the cost or, or, or you know, do whatever, then, then, you know, learn from other people. There's so much more available in books and podcasts and all that sort of stuff available today that, that just simply, you know, it, it probably was there, but it was so much harder to find 20, 30 years ago. Uh, it was. You had to really make the effort, and 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 it's almost flipped the lid now. There's almost too much information, so you get totally confused with the complexity that's associated with it. But the the fundamentals haven't changed. And if we go back to the, the you know, I had my own Kiyosaki moment in the in the 90s, and that that completely flipped the lid on my my thinking and actions from that day forward. Um, yeah. it really yeah, was a paradigm shift in, in the way I I saw everything from that point on. But uh, uh, yeah, I really appreciated you you uh, sharing all of that. Uh, uh, before we go to a break and then uh, get ready for uh, the next episode where we're going to deep dive on your fantastic new book, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to say uh, before we do that? Yeah, I, I, I'm not quite sure. We've done a fair bit, uh, a fair bit so far. Um, are there any money management uh, tips or hacks that, that you've personally picked up and? You know, and sort of researching you, your, your mother's uh, ability to put things in little brown paper bags. Uh, exactly. So my mother put everything in little purses. So, I, the, my, the, like I say, the best decision my dad made was I, was was going. You have the money because money in your pocket makes no sense. And that's you know that's what one of the driving things forces behind the book is that most of us manage money in an awful way at the moment. Go back to when we got paid cash. People knew you had to take the cash home and hide it. Now, we open up a bank account. When we get our first job, we have a debit card linked to that bank account. We have our pay going into that bank account. And from there on in, we never make the change away from that stupid habit. But we're now managing money according to our employer's pay cycle, which doesn't make sense to a human being. And also... Whatever we do after that, we've given ourselves access to all of our money, just like as if my dad put his whole pay packet in his back pocket, and it doesn't make any sense. Take the money home, hide the money home, walk out the door with a little bit. How do we mimic that in the modern world? That's the driving force behind spending fast and slow, and and, and hopefully we'll get more into that later, but it's, it's the nuts. And credit cards... Credit cards, I, I could, you know, I, there's not enough pairs of scissors in the world to cut them all up. Um, they've got to, they've got to go. They're awful things. They mess with your heads, and people don't understand why. And the psychology tells us why they don't understand why. It's because they believe that they're a sane, sober, rational human being, and therefore they make sane, sober, rational decisions when they use a credit card. And all of the studies show that they don't. Yeah, there are losses to poverty. There's no great and. Um, we're really going to dive into all of that and the psychology around the the, the you know money in our our minds and uh, when we uh, break down your book. But I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to share the ins and outs of your own personal journey, Max. And if anyone would like to ask any further questions or leave comments about this, I want you to just join and jump into our recently launched Property Hub Collective Interactive Facebook community. 
which you can click on the link in the show notes, where you can keep the conversation going with other like-minded, hard-working Aussies. So uh, we now look forward to continuing the conversation in part two of our great discussion, Max, where we're going to deep dive into your great new book, Spending Fast and Slow. So thanks again for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thanks for tuning in to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, your home for property investment insights and inspiration. And don't leave yet until you've taken the next step towards living by design. By getting my award-winning book, Get Invested, absolutely free when you sign up at knowhowproperty.com.au or bushymartin.com.au. And finally, make sure you subscribe to Property Hub to get your weekly dose of Get Invested inspiration along with every episode of Realty Talk, Australia's leading property show for red-hot property investing news and insights direct from industry leaders and influencers. Remember to always get invested in your knowledge and I look forward to seeing you next time.